everyone, and welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast, episode nine, with Barry Ennis. Um, now, Barry says it was his determination and attitude that took him from a role of a runner in television and film to leading senior management teams and multi-million pound projects um, in a film and TV career that involved a BAFTA-winning show, seven series of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and Beyonce. Um, but later, when he was in a moment of struggle... He took himself through what he calls a self-coaching exercise. Um, and he, he kind of saw that his work, the work he was doing at the time in television, didn't speak to the things that emerged when he reflected on what mattered to him, his values, his passions. So he set off on a journey, and a little bit like me, he found coaching and then it wasn't right, and then stumbled on it again. And it was really when he did some transformational pairs work partway through his training with Barefoot, um, the coach training course he did, that the spark for coaching was lit. And uh, he's followed that fire ever since. Um, less than three years into work as a coach, although he often doesn't call himself that, and we get into that in this episode, why that is. Um, Barry's continued to follow the fire that he feels, uh, whether that's through a sense of wonder he gets from certain training or the kinds of work that he does. He's already on his second um, startup focused on developing people, um, which is called the wake up method and we get into a little bit more about that although it's in fairly embryonic stages as we record this podcast um we also touch on what he learned from building his first business the gorilla experience which he built with uh, then business partner Teresa klasner uh, from their first event to working in organizations to what brought that company to the end um including how um he created their first corporate coaching offer during a call with a quite high-profile potential client and how he was very lucky that Teresa had recorded that call. Um, so, yeah, we also get into why he says he runs a business rather than works as a coach and why he finds the term coaching unhelpful, the dangers of social media and how he uses it, um, plus near the start, um, there's a really nice conversation about Barry's upbringing, the stories that have supported him in growing his business and where they've come from, in particular, a lovely distinction between I have a place and uh, know your place. Yeah, I wanted to just catch before we dive in that, I, you know, I give a little intro at the start, kind of off the cuff a little bit, as I often do with the, with the guests. And I just want to say, you know, part of the reason I talk about in that in a minute is is that, um, you know, I wanted to have some people who are closer to the start of their journey than me, um, because I'm no longer so new to this thing, and three years in, perhaps Barry isn't either, but I'm not sure I quite give give him enough credit um, in that intro. He's here on this podcast because I think he's awesome, and I think the energy and the work he does is very exciting, uh, the energy he has and the work he does. And so I'm sure you'll get that sense from him uh, as you listen to the interview too. Um, Other things to look out for, um, listen out for me worrying about whether I'd left a washing machine on in the background. Um, And there's also a beautiful moment towards the end where Barry gets into why he thinks it's really important that we talk about love um, at work. Uh, Before we dive in, tiny bit of housekeeping, as often happens around this stage, um, just to say there's no big marketing budget behind the Coach's Journey podcast. If you like it, um, tell a friend about it. Uh, share it with a community of coaches that you're part of, leave a review or a rating, uh, all those kind of things. Uh, That's how this thing that I'm creating here gets out to people and had some lovely feedback from different people, both the guests and uh, listeners. So yeah, please do spread the word. But 
that's enough from me. Uh, on with episode nine of the Coach's Journey podcast with Barry Ennis. Barry, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Hello, Robbie. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, a real delight. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's really nice. So I was just saying, literally just before we kind of switched on the call, I was saying I haven't really thought about what, uh, what, how I was going to introduce you. But actually, that's not quite true. Um, and a few thoughts are crossing my mind now that I have had in the last week or two, particularly, or, or since we decided to record this. One is, I think it's... Um, you know, one of the aims of this podcast is to have a really broad range of people at different stages of the journey. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so far amongst the guests, it's been a good mixture. Um, but, you know, some of those people have been people who are way, way down the line of coaching. You know, Katie, who was the first guest, has got like 15,000 hours of coaching or something. Mm. Absolutely crazy like that. And often I, uh, oh, I still think of myself, I had a great conversation with another guest about this. I still think of myself as like a new coach. But I'm coming up for five years now, and that's not really true anymore. And and so one of the things when I sat down and first made a kind of long list of people who might come on is you came up, and that's partly because you've been coaching for less time than me. Although I suspect that that's quite it's quite a few years that you've been doing it now as well. So it's not quite that neither neither just like I'm not no longer a newcomer to coaching. I suspect that you are not quite as new as. Yeah, I'm three years in from from training. Yeah, so it's a very short period of time, really, Um, certainly in comparison to some of the others that are out there. But but it's one of those things, isn't it, that when you think about that, it feels like I've been doing it for 33 years. So um, it's good to have these moments of punctuation, if you like, just to kind of stop and go, oh, yeah. (laughs) What have we done? (laughs) Yeah, I had some. I was at an event for coaches in, uh, like, 2017 so I was about two and a half late 2017 I was about two and a half years in and when I said I was about two and a half years into coaching like this guy was like wow you've been doing it a while then and it was this moment of of oh yeah compared to you actually I have I'm not as new to this as I yeah sometimes thought so that's one reason that I think it's great that you're here um and we have met before but like we don't know much about each other but mm. I had this funny thing where also with you So my friend James once told me he trained before I did as a coach. And he told me that when I went full time coaching, he was like, whoa, Robbie's gone full time at coaching. I need to get my act together. And I, it's not that exact thing, but I sometimes get that feeling with you as well. It's like, whoa, look at the stuff that Barry's doing. (laughs) Maybe I should be, am I doing enough? Maybe I should be doing different things. And so it's really nice to have those those kind of two parts of this. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see the power of social media. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we should say, right, it's dangerous to say that because it's very yeah. easier in the comparison age to yeah. compare what's going on for us on the inside with what's going on for other people on the outside. But, and I'm really open about that and upfront about that because I, I hear this from a lot of coaches. They go, wow, you know, you're up to so much. You're doing this, you're doing that. And I have to say, I have to own it and say, look, marketing is an incredibly powerful thing. And, you know, the truth is, talk to me about what I'm doing and I'll be really honest and, and I can do that with you today, Robbie. But yeah, it, it, it's really important, I think, in this day and age, especially with coaches being fairly isolated at times competitive, to be mm. real about the business, <laughs> to be real about what we've got to do, what the hustle has to be in order to make this commercially viable as well as a passion. Um, and part of that is what I would call marketing, but in these day and age, it's social media. But, you know, the, I, I'm not doing myself down here. Um, 
I want I want to also kind of acknowledge the the stuff I've been doing. So don't you know I'm not purely going oh it's just social it's just a Facebook update yeah I've been working really hard because I love it um and I'm coming up with ideas the whole time but there's still the same amount of hours in a day for me so you know I'm only getting so much of that stuff done yeah and look so much in that already that we could jump off on um and I'm sure we'll get to I'd love to get to a load of those things but um maybe if we just rewind a little bit you know one of the ways I've been starting a lot of these conversations is when did you first come across the idea of, of, of coaching? Yeah, good, good question. And I should sort of, I'll start that by saying that my, my industry experience, if you like, my kind of professional life prior to, to coaching was in television production. Um, first job I ever did was in TV, um, and that's all I did. So, you know, I, I say first job, first proper job post-university, right, was, was in TV as a runner, got into this incredible industry, worked on these incredible shows. And coaching was not a word that was ever heard. <laughs> Training was actually never a word that was heard. Um, personal, professional development. These are words that did, this is a vocabulary that just didn't exist. You just got on with it and you learned the hard way, you know, that, and, and not so much get the violins out, but it, it's a, it's a very kind of tough industry to to survive in. Um, and for me, that tough industry took me to a place uh, in say 2015, where I'd had enough, <laughs> if, if I'm honest. And you know, as coaches, we know that we're presented with people that feel that way about a lot of things. And I didn't have anyone. So I was just me thinking I've had enough. I don't know what else to do because my world has been completely and utterly um, filled with this telly stuff. Um, And so I guess what my first experience with coaching was actually a process of self-coaching without any knowledge. Because an exercise that I did was a sort of, a values and passions audit, if you like. Um, what do I really care about? And what, you know, what do I like doing? Um, and in the mix of all of that stuff, you know, bearing in mind I'm making telly shows, uh, and in the midst of all that, I realised <clears throat> quite clearly and very quickly that the thing that I actually love doing was working with other people and um, I'm working them up, if you like. So where people were struggling or where we had maybe different backgrounds, expectations, ideologies in the workspace. And we were all working to this homogenized, this is how you do it and there's no room for error. You know, I'm working in live telly, so there isn't so much space to, to check things out before you do them. You just yeah, do and, it. And just for people who don't know, I mean, I'll put a bio on the website and all that kind of thing, but what kind of shows are we talking about that you're working on? So I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for many years. Um, we did, I did a big show with Beyonce, uh, which was incredible. Um, so we did her album promotion, um, album four. I did factual stuff. So it was a show called Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. Um, but actually back in the day, it was more live. So A League of Their Own, big sports show but we were working at this point this exact point in my life 2015 we were doing a series of live who wants to be millionaires um and it was quite stressful <laughs> that's an understatement um, and amazing right so there's that whole thing about stress you stress and de-stress it was it was good um 
so yeah, it, and I wanted that big ticket stuff. You know, I'd definitely gone out to find that. I wasn't interested in anything else. I was this, I've got to be working on the biggest show. I've got to be doing this. That was definitely the guy that I was. Um, and uh, yeah, I was caught in that kind of cyclone, if you like, of drama and ambition and, and um, energy. Um, but yeah, around the 2015 time when I started to feel the pains of that and some of the scars of being in the middle of a cyclone and being hit by a few things, physically and mentally. Um, yeah, I was doing this exercise and I realized that none of the telly stuff showed up on my values and passion sheet. It was not about the output. I didn't care about the craft or you know what we were doing in terms of society. In fact, it got to the point where what we were doing in society was becoming a bit of a negative for me. I didn't really see the value anymore in what we were doing. So I did this, I did this audit and I was like, well, what does that mean? You know, what am I going to do? Go into social care? You know, what, I'm just going to go and ca- open up a cat's home? Like, what am I going to go and do? And I think I just got on Google, as you do, and uh, typed in some things. And this word coaching kept coming up. And and it, my only reference point at this time, and I think it's true for a lot of people that have never experienced coaching, is this term life coaching, um, that for me had its roots in American melodrama, uh, where maybe a quite affluent, self-obsessed person in a, in a TV narrative would just get a life coach because, you know, that, that was my only point of reference. And I thought, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. There's something more that I want to do. And so I did some, ex- I did some research mentoring, you know, how can I work with, you know, young people and all of that. And um, this word coaching kept coming back and I thought, well, I'm going to go out and find, find out what this stuff is. Right. And um, a lot of coaching academies obviously offer up a half day, full day, free kind of taster sessions. So you can come along and, and, and have a look. And I signed up for a number of them and I won't name them. <laughs> And um, I was really disheartened because I thought, I can't do this. This is not, it was the ones that I'd signed up to were very performance driven, um, very executive coaching, um, very much about goal setting and goal achieving, goal achieving. And it felt a bit brutal for me um, because I was approaching things in a slightly different way, naturally. Um, And I guess the word I would stick to that now is humanistic, um so I thought well that's that then and I scrapped it I thought I have to keep the set you know I was still working at the time this was just a kind of dream that I had that I could do something different and I pretty resigned pretty much resigned myself to thinking get over yourself Barry you know this is life yeah you're supposed to hate your job you know you've got to do it for the money you know all these kind of parental voices in my head of like this is what this is what life is about it's tough it's supposed to be hard right so I kind of trundled on (laughs) for a bit longer and I will mention this company but I ended up going to a barefoot coaching taster session it was in my diary actually I booked it in and it was in the diary and it came to the day I thought I don't want to spend half a day going to a hotel conference room in a basement somewhere having you know this experience again it was something inside of me thought no you know come on show up you know you've booked it in <laughs> you've got to better go and I walked into this room 
And this lady called Kim Morgan was there. Um, and it turns out that she's the CEO of Barefoot Coaching. And <laughs> the first F-bomb's coming, Robbie, brace yourself. But I went, fuck me, it's Bette Midler. Because <laughs> she looks a lot like Bette Midler. And she just kind of opened her arms and was like, come on in, welcome. And I thought, this is, this is nice. And I then started to have this humanistic experience of what coaching can be. Um, outside of the slightly, my reference point is always telly. I've told you why, so apologies in advance. But the slightly more apprentice candidate style coaching experience that I'd seen, which was just about a kind of line graph that's going up continually. It's all about success. Um, Anyway, I enrolled on the course. I did the course and I fell in love with the art at that point. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll say more about how that, um, how that kind of unfolded. But it was a, I would describe it as a slightly accidental yet intended set of circumstances that led me here. Um, there was no plan, <laughs> but if I look back, it all makes sense. Oh, thanks for sharing that story, Barry. There's so much stuff in there. I guess I'm really curious about Barefoot and your experience there. But the thing that the first thing that sparked a question in me, which I didn't ask at the time, but I want to come back to, is that moment where you started doing that work on passion and values and those kind of things in this in this moment in your career where you were right up against this in the whirlwind and all those kind of things. Do you know where you got that inspiration or what led you to asking yourself those questions? Yeah, it's um, it's a good one to ask because I think one of the things I would add is that that was, and it may have been implicit in how I just set it up, but it was a quite a dark period of my life. Um, and there's a sense of despair about it um, that there's nothing else I can do but this. But... The question being, you know, where did that flash of inspiration to pick up the pen and and make some kind of sense of this this kind of mess as it felt? Um, you know what? The way I would answer that, and the, the thing that's really coming up for me, kind of beyond words, is my mum. There's something about my mum here, which is uh, so. Just a quick bit of background: single parent family, mum working a lot, and I've got a brother. And so mum is somebody that has a plan. <laughs> um, she, she, and there's probably more than one. There's various contingencies. Uh, because you know what? God knows how women do this on their own. I have a few friends now who are in a similar situation and I see it kind of live <clears throat> as it's happening. And what I notice is that there, there needs to be a plan the safety involved here of these children, um, the other. And I think what happened in the moment for me was that there became quite a responsible parent ego state, if you like, um, within me that needed to take care of this child within me. You know, mum wasn't around in that particular moment. She was around. She wasn't accessible to me in that period of time. And that was a me thing, not a her thing. But it was very much a sense of I'm on my own in this. And then realising that I'm not. There's some protector within me, if you like. There's somebody with a plan. Um, and 
And and again, I'm sure we'll get to it, but that probably was the emergence of my interest in transactional analysis. Again, with absolutely no awareness at all about what that was. Um, But yeah, there was was a dividing, if you like, within me that somebody else took over and had a plan and started to put a plan in place. The vulnerable, terrified child was very much still there saying, I don't want to do it, you know, squabbling with myself. But um, yeah, the person that picked up the pen was probably a sense of my own internal parent. Mm, really nice. And what a gift for your mum. What a hero she is, right? To, and all those people that do that, do you know, raise children yeah. by themselves. And, and yeah. even not by themselves. I'm amazed. I don't have children, but I'm amazed by the kind of heroic things that parents go through. But what a gift she gave you, that giving you that little internal planner who could pick up the pen in that in that moment yeah she's not somebody that allows uh failure (laughs) that's what i would say now i have now learned (laughs) that that's not great to have as your only mode of of, of kind of attack again that's how she would see it um but it's useful at times being resourceful and getting yourself out of a scrape it's good to have that um i've i've spent the last number of years working out what else is useful um and that would definitely be my gift back to her is that there are other ways but um but i think yeah having a plan and and knowing that there is always a way there is always a way even when it feels like there is no other way um i would uh and this is a deeper point again i'm sure we might come to but there is always a way (laughs) And often those moments, those really difficult moments when we're right up against it is when we have to get the most creative and resourceful Mm. Uh, and, you know, pull this moment of inspiration out of it. And, you know, I think it's a, I don't want to say common, but I think there are those moments of kind of hopelessness, Mm. you know, are often a part of each, you know, each of us with our own ones are often a part of the story, which leads to somewhere good if in that moment we can be strong enough or resilient enough to ride out the challenge or call on some part of us like you did to say, okay, here I am. This is what I've got. What can I do? And there's the analysis. And then there's the, the hint about the, the craft and what you're doing in society doesn't quite match anymore. And, mm. and then some exploration comes. And you know what? I would, I just, as you're talking, I'm just thinking that there's also a sense that, and I never really felt it explicitly, but looking back, I must have and, and do now that I have a place in the world and that I have a right to try and do what I want to do. And um, I think, again, with a certain parental and schooling style that I kind of had in the 80s, uh, all boys school, very strict. It was that you kind of don't have a place. Know your place, you know, was kind of the rule that you had and that you're it's very league tabled and there's always someone above you. And so therefore why bother? And that can lead to hopelessness and apathy and a lot of trends that I'm experiencing currently in, in my people that I'm working with, or there's certainly the kind of undercurrents that I'm hearing and feeling is this hopelessness and that there's something we can do. And my, I guess my unique breed of coaching therefore is that you have a place and you have power to do what you need to do. Um, realize that um, it's kind of all you've got at the end of the day. If you, if you lose sight of that, then 
what else are you doing? So, yeah, I think, again, coming back to the TA language, and maybe there's others, but there's Dharma, there's Physis, there's Spirit, there's Soul. You know, that, that merges and that, I call it fire. I'm ginger, so I always associate with that kind of coloration, those orange tones, but there's a fire in you, and that's, that has to light and ignite. Um, and when it does, anything's possible, genuinely. Yeah, and, and look, I, you know, I know you're making a joke about ginger and all that kind of thing but fire i think is very like it's interesting if you i don't know if you ever how often you play this stuff out with clients but you know i find if you if you dig into the kind of uh, somatic bodily experience of the feelings that people want to have the kind of sense of possibility that the power inside them the words spark and fire and uh burning those kind of sensations they come up a lot like there's yeah. there's something deeper than just your ginger yeah. hair <laughs> to that uh, thank you robbie <laughs> but you know also you know i was up doing a training course over the weekend and it's quite lefty and a little bit a little bit hippie and i love it for that but part of the training was sitting around a fire hmm. uh and um i know you know classic coaching phrase noticing what comes up but all everyone was doing was staring at a fire for a good half hour, right? And these are, <laughs> how can I say this, lovely? This is a mixed group who generally, there isn't much silence in our group. There's normally opinion discussion, right? Um, a very engaged group. There was just pure silence and we were just staring at the fire and we were connected. And, and I don't really understand it yet, but there's something about the fire that connects all of us. I think across time and uh, kind of geography that there's this unification around this energy, I guess. Um, and I'm very curious about all of that. Um, and kind of, I'm trying to make sense of that and understanding that, especially when we live in an environment now where our sanitization, if you like, is that we have no, hardly any access to fire. We don't see it. You know, if we're lucky, we've got a gas hob, that's it. So it, it's how do we come back to the earth, I guess. And, and that's really top and front of center of my mind at the minute. It's how do we come back to the earth and remember who we really are? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to think about that, that kind of experience, which just feels so historical and a part of us, that experience of sitting around a fire, staring at it, you know, noticing. There's something about the, the, uh, it's getting esoteric, isn't it? There's something about the kind of infinite variety yeah. in, in looking at a fire that is hard to find anywhere else. I've noticed so that one of the, I think one of the ways I deal with not having access to fire in London and not having so much access to nature is I spend quite a lot of time as much time as I can by the river nice. um, because yeah. at least the river has and water and the sea has some of that same hypnotic quality to it. Yeah. My mum always calls me a water baby. In fact, my partner does as well now. Um, I love being in the water and um, I feel like, again, it's something embryonic. It's kind of, you know, being surrounded by that fluid of peaceful and calm and just looking at it. I, I think we coach sometimes in a similar place, don't we? And there's a lovely big river Thames running right in front of us. And it's just hypnotic. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it matches back to why did I go through that evaluation process with the coaching academies and schools? 
um, it's that I need to feel the fire. And I think sometimes in organizational spaces, historically and changing now, but in organizational spaces, we're not allowed to have that fire. Um, and that, that manifests in many different ways. You know, one, you're in a concrete glass box, so you've got no, no access to anything. But on a more human level, it's keep the emotion out of things. You know, how do I take the emotion out of this email and something that, you know, you used to hear? Well, why are you trying to take the emotion out of it? Surely that's quite an important part of, you know, anyway. So there's something about how do we create, reconnect to that? And my, my breed of coaching, my style of coaching is, is very much in that space about working with the, if you like, yeah, the elements of the other person. And again, you know, the obvious um, synonym there, but it's working with what are the important elements that person needs to connect to. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it sounds like for you particularly, perhaps that schooling experience and then this sense of, of what was happening for you working in telly it was that particularly for you that the fire wasn't there and then it wasn't there. It's really funny. And I, I you know, on this podcast, don't worry about it. We don't have many listeners yet. Like you could, name <laughs> the, you can name the places you went and didn't get the fire if you want, um, because it might help people. But, but more importantly, you were welcomed by this Bette Midler-esque woman, yeah. uh, which gave you the fire in this particular yeah. morning that you almost didn't go to. She had bright ginger, she had bright ginger hair. I think oh, probably so the fire hair. and the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so the literal Sorry, fire kid. as well as yeah. the <laughs> and and so then I guess you felt the fire right, which is part of this story. But what happened next with your journey into coaching? Yeah. Okay. So I am. In this, and again, coaching bullshit bingo, I'm apologizing in advance, but I'm in this liminal space of training to be a coach. Wait, I actually don't know what the word liminal means, Barry, and I hear people saying it sometimes. And oh, I, look at I, him like, showing I his vulnerability. I do a little bit of pretending to know what it means. <laughs> um, there's like a, an interesting guy running a men's community in the States, and it's called the liminal order or something like that. And I have looked it up, actually, because of that, but I've forgotten what it means. So, and I'm sure there are many definitions, but for me, liminal is the space between, um, as simple as that. And that can, that can manifest in many different ways. An airport can be a liminal space, you know, it's a space between two places. Um, coaching, I argue, is a liminal space. Um, you are literally between two spaces and it's the important work that goes on. And for me, the liminal space that showed up there was that you're, I was on a coaching course and I was not a coach. And I was not somebody that works in telly. I was not a producer in telly. And so what, you know, what are we in this? And I think when you're in that liminal space, you've got the opportunity to show up. Um, a brilliant guy called Giles Barrow talks about the encounter. So the encountering of you, um, where everything else is stripped away, all roles and responsibilities, if you like, are kind of left away. And then who are you? Um, and for probably those reasons I got to uncover a lot of stuff where some days I'm showing up and I've got this kind of cynical showing up on the course I've got this cynical telly head if you like that's kind of going ah, this is all bullshit this is all just guff isn't it like you're all just sitting around talking about how you know difficult life is and then the following day let's say I'm in tears because something's got me and I can't explain why. And I'm wrestling with that because I'm thinking, 
they've only said one thing and I, you know, it's hooked me into something. So I'm kind of backwards and forwards. And I tell you what, it's an exhausting process <laughs> to do that. Um, but therein was the sort of work I am, you know, it's kind of like when you get a piece of clay, you know, you have to warm it up and then you have to kind of start molding it and it looks a bit ugly for a while. Um, but it was, it was that process. It's, it's not yet a beautiful sculpture. It's no longer a piece of clay. It's just this thing. Um, so what I'm kind of getting to is that when I left, when I graduated uh, from Barefoot, I was sort of on the shoreline. Again, another beautiful liminal space. You know, I wasn't in the beat. I wasn't on the sand. I wasn't in the sea. I was just in the shoreline. And the waves of both worlds were kind of hitting me. I was still employed. Yeah. So I'm having to go back into work on a Monday and they'll go, how was your course? And having absolutely no reference point or ability or want to explain this other world to these people. Um, So I became quite isolated because I couldn't share this beautiful thing that I discovered with people because it was so precious to me that I didn't want anyone tarnishing it. You know, it's a bit like having a new baby all new babies are beautiful, even though some of them are ugly, you know, but they're all just beautiful because we know how important it is to the, the new parents. Um, and I'm sure some are. But uh, yeah, so I was becoming uh, differentiated, I guess. Um, yeah, there was a version of me here and there was a version of me over here. That felt inherently unhealthy. I would argue that it is unhealthy. But, you know, I had to earn money and, and, and that was the case. So I, um, and look, you know, to all new coaches out there, and I am baby coach on Robbie's podcast, it's tough. The hustle's, the hustle's tough in the beginning. You know, there aren't people trying to smash your door down to get you to coach them. Um, it does require a bit of work to make it commercially viable. Um, and I was fortunate, I was getting a bit of work. And then one day, uh, one of the fellow coaches on the, on the program, coaching, Barefoot Coaching Program, came to me with the very broadest set of ideas. In fact, it was one word that she came to me with and said, do you, have, do you fancy doing something together in the coaching space? I, hadn't, I didn't really know who she was. She was on my course, but we hadn't massively connected. Um, and why did she come to you? Do you know? Ah, well, here we go. This is where he starts being a good coach, isn't it? Why does she come to me? I do know. Um, she said that I was the only one in the room that felt more like her. And I think what that really meant was that she had a background in media, actually. So um, that she felt that I was somebody that could, that she could talk to that wouldn't be too coachy. I think that's probably my paraphrasing of that. She felt that there was a connection. So we met, we had a meeting, we carved out what she was thinking, which was very simply a website to host a number of coaches on. So, you know, power of coming together and everyone just still coaching, but let's just have this website and kind of try and do things a bit differently. That was sort of the brief. What was the word that she came with? Gorilla. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, like the commandos, not like the animal, right? I know that from there. Correct. Guerrilla marketing. Yeah, guerrilla marketing. And it was really that, just that word guerrilla. 
and that set me off thinking and that was the this is really the beginning of where I'm at now because <laughs> I I sort of took what she brought and threw most of it away and said no there's something here in this word gorilla there's something here about disruption and there's something here about change and readiness for change and I and I didn't know anything more than that and I I went home and I was like there's something here this is not just a website where coaches put a biog up you know and try and get work this is an opportunity so long story short I spent some time we spent some time in fairness um carving out what we meant and I got down to three core principles really which was the one coaching is bloody good and people need access to it and a lot of people don't have a clue about it I was a living example of that two the way it's being delivered currently is not fit for purpose for that demographic that I'm talking about who has no awareness of what it is um and three, we're the people that are going to do it. <laughs> so we kind of set up this idea that we could take coaching into organizations for younger people. And I say younger, not in terms of age, but maybe younger in terms of their experience and development in work. Okay. Um, but that did normally mean a demographic of age, but not always. So people that just had no awareness of maybe leadership or, or growth or development, but were just kind of chugging along at work you know being fairly all right with that that was our market and we decided that coaching conversations need to be more laser focused more more polarized we, we decided we're going to do it in half an hour what the question we set ourselves is what can be done in half an hour what what can be achieved in half an hour with somebody and we didn't know at this stage we hadn't done it <laughs> it's all in our heads and we really believed that a face-to-face was the most important way of coaching and face-to-face in person Okay, so we, I was at that stage fascinated about the early, where I'm at now with my business, this is where this came from, about the, the field, um, the relational, um, on, on many levels. Um, so what more do you gain by being in your relational field with, with the other? Um, and we just believe that it should be for everybody. So the notion that coaching, certainly back then, was a fairly prestigious luxury item for for people at work. Um, for me, it felt wrong. So I just wanted to, to democratize it, I guess, and make it available. So I did some, did some planning. We did a little event, actually. We did a speed coaching event up at Conway Hall, beautiful Conway Hall. And I persuaded a bunch of coaches who I trained with on Barefoot and a couple of others actually in the network to come along and give this new thing a go because try this new thing, right? God bless them. Like I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> they just came along like, all right, whatever. We're like, put a t-shirt on. We've got people coming in at eight. Don't know who we're going to get. Um, and yeah, we told you we're going to coach in a half an hour, but you're really going to do it in 10 minutes. So they were like, what? Like, well, kind of half an hour, just, Three lots of 10 minutes. <laughs> Three different people in 10 minutes. Okay. All right. So they were all up for it, you know, persuaded them to do it. And it, do you know what? It was an amazing, amazing night. It was brilliant. Fun, energy, experience. Um, never do it again. Let's just slow down a minute. I can kind of imagine how you got the coaches to come along. Uh, who were the people who came? Who were the other people who came? Yeah, so where where did just, they come from and how did yeah. you find them? 
it was an event, right? Um, you know, it was an event come along and I can't remember what the, the language I used in it, but um, it was something like come and get, it was, it was a bit like come and date yourself or, or fall in, I think I had fall in love with you or something cringe. <laughs> um, so you think you've done speed dating. I, I, tried to, I tried to position it as in, if you really want to fall in love, get to know yourself first. So this is kind of what you've got to do before you do speed dating. Um, some of that fell away as we actually came to market it we made it a bit broader. But yeah, we just chucked it up on old Eventbrite and sort of saw what happened. We bought a couple of mates came along to support and all of that. But we sold 50 tickets. Um, people paid money for this, <laughs> tenner. But, you know, I was overwhelmed. Um, I couldn't believe that this little thing that we'd just come up with as a bit of a laugh was happening, right? Um, but this is an interesting part of it, Barry, because it's it's like, had you finished the barefoot course by this point or not? No, you kind of still, by that point maybe, but when the idea first started, you were still studying, right? When the ideas were ruminating, yes, they were. We were still studying, but I, at this stage, had finished the training when we when we were doing our speed coaching. Right? Because there's something interesting about. I don't know if this is true. I'm not sure that I necessarily had it, but I feel like amongst groups of people training and coaching, there's there's often such an energy about having found this thing, which which in one way or another fits them much better than what they were doing before. And it is a creative space where you're making new connections, meeting new people. And I bet that, you know, across all the coach trainings that have happened in that year, uh, your, your course mate wasn't the only person who went to someone else in their course and said, I've got this idea. And yet for some reason, and yet most, uh, many of those ideas will have drifted away and, and, and kind of died or just diffused out into the world. But yours, for some reason, the two of you and... Some of that has to do with you. You said like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe it's this bit that's the bit that at least you were excited by. Something you did meant that this one ended up not just as a, uh, an idea that exists in the world, but a 50-person event with people paying 10 quid. And that's not nothing, right? And yeah, what? I guess the question is, why do you think that happened? Hmm... <laughs> can't stop smiling because I'm really sat back in that moment at the minute and it's a nice it's a nice space um why do I think that happened I kind of have to come back to the fire I'm, I don't want to labor it but if I funnily enough just this morning I had to do I didn't have to do I was invited to do a one of those strengths profiling for an event I'm doing tomorrow and uh you know I'm sure most of us that are listening in this community have done similar things, right? It pops up to strength. And it's generally not surprising at this stage what you get. I'm pretty self-aware. But I also still like to see that uh, enthusiasm thing come up. And that's what generally comes up for me, enthusiasm. I like it. It's like an old friend coming over, you know? It's like, oh, here he is, still here. <laughs> and I think it's that enthusiasm, boundless enthusiasm, like a puppy sometimes that just... I've got to do it. I don't know how it works. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I, you know, coaches quite rightly would be asking me things like, what's going to happen at this stage and what will happen there? And I'm like, I genuinely don't know. But I know that you're an incredible coach and that you'll find a way. <laughs> I 
kind of Machiavellian, isn't it? But um, uh, yeah, it's just if I feel like it's a feelings thing, and if I feel that fire touch paper kind of catch, I've got to go with it. I've just got to go with it. It's got to happen. Um, and so so just, I guess what just to yeah. cycle back a little bit. So because actually you haven't necessarily mentioned the moment when that happened with coaching as a whole. Did that happen with coaching? Was it was it when you first went to the barefoot thing, or you mentioned you had the skeptic and the uh, the person crying? Yeah, in that, the course. Yeah, that happened midway through. Really, there was definitely a moment in um, during the barefoot course where we did an exercise with somebody who's now a really dear friend of mine, Mariana. We'll say her name because she's gorgeous. What's her uh, surname? So people can check her out. It can dance. It can dance. <laughs> I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get uh, any listeners will sort that and put that in we'll the show that. notes somehow. <laughs> she uh, did an exercise with me. We were doing it together, you know, in, in partnership. Where, and I, I forget the name of it, but where we had to imagine, if you like, the thing that's holding us back in life, the thing that's hold us, held us back. And we were going to, we went through a personification exercise or a visualization. For me, it was a personification. No, flip that. It was supposed to be a personification, i.e. what does this thing that's holding you back, this voice, if you like, this energy that's holding you back in life or your inner critic, what do they look like? And I think the exercise was set up to be, you know, look at them, imagine them, what are they wearing and and actually go through a process of diminishing them and, and kind of losing their power, taking their power away. Okay, That was how the exercise was supposed to be. And I kind of roll into these exercises, you know, it's fun, a bit breakout of a cup of tea, fairly open-minded, doing this exercise with Mariana, who I didn't know very well at that stage, and I had made some judgments about, which she's very aware of, but let's just say she's out of my league. <laughs> and I felt a little bit intimidated by her. <laughs> and um, we did this exercise, and the, the energy for me, and it wasn't a person, it was a, sh- it was, yeah, a very terrifying energy. Um, and shape and feeling and spikiness and darkness and fear very vividly became present. And it was an incredibly, incredibly powerful experience, one that I will never forget, and neither will she. And she stayed with it, and I was very emotional. And this was kind of out of the realms of coaching, but for some people, definitely, right? Um, But we were in it. And um, she handled it amazingly well, and we managed to bring this... uh, energy force from down a really vast corridor that I could imagine in my head. I couldn't look at it. I was terrified of this thing. And we managed to get it into vision, if you like, between us and diminish it. It took a long time and it was a hell of a piece of work. And um, I think I was sold then because I'd kind of had it done to me. It was just, wow, this has got to be interesting. Isn't it interesting that the thing you were sold on you also kind of qualified with, is this beyond the realms of coaching? I think it's worth just slowing down on that question that you asked in that moment. And then you kind of qualified it with, uh, for some people it would be. So if that's the experience that lit the touch paper, that really sold you on it, and it sounds powerful, right? I've got like pictures of it in my mind now, and I, I bet people listening have. What's that? What's that intuition? What's your intuition now about whether that is coaching or whether it's not and well i'm going to answer that by saying i don't really use the word coaching um in my practice clues in the name (laughs) i call it practice 
Um, certain, for certain reasons, I have to be called a coach, and I get that. Um, but I find it an unhelpful term at times. Um, when you're doing transformational work, and you can't do transformational work, it just happens. You can't set out to do transformational stuff. If, if the two people are up for it and able and willing and the trust is maintained, transformation can really happen. And I'm happy and want to do that stuff. Okay, so what, But I don't think that sits within the realms of the ICF called competencies definition of coaching. Okay? I, I think these things are changing, though. Um, I think we're on the cusp of some, some massive changes. Um, one of the things I have to say quite frequently in a, a charity that I work for, for compliance, is what's the clear line between therapy and coaching as part of the contracting piece. Right? Quite obviously, because we're talking to people that have absolutely no experience of a coaching relationship. Um, but I'm thinking more and more about what do these words mean? A therapy. Okay. Coaching. Okay. Why is one defined by a thing? Therapy is a thing that sits between us. And why is coaching something that's owned by me and done to you as client? Why is this a process? Um, so to coach, yes. Um, but to, to be present, to listen, yes. Um, but coaching, yeah, I have a trouble with that. I have, a, I have an issue with that. I'm wrangling with that. Um, I find there's, I find that it makes assumptions of the situation before anything started. And I, I kind of don't like that. And I, ICF, if you're listening, I do completely <laughs> stick to all the competencies when I need to, if I've contracted it as, look, this is a classic kind of, I want to get from here to here. What are the tips, tools, and techniques I need to get there? Fine, got it. But where I, where I really sit, if you like, my value, I would say to people is that we can go somewhere much, much more powerful and the results can be way beyond the, the sort of slightly transactional piece that may have been presented. Hmm. How interesting. And yeah, again, there's so many different directions we could go from here. I guess it feels like an opportunity now though to say, well, in that case, if you don't really talk about the work you do as coaching and there's some great distinctions that you just made about why that is, how do you talk about the work you do? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question, Robbie, because I don't know. Yeah, um, sorry, it's a horrible question that coaches. No, 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 like. it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do? Um, <laughs> generally, my answer. Uh, I actually say that I run a business now because, <laughs> yeah, whether I like it or not, that is most of what I do, <laughs> which isn't coaching. Um, so I run a business, and that business is involved in personal and professional development. Okay, so that, that's, that's how I say what I do. Um, the business is called The Wake Up Method, and it, and it is about waking people up. And if I think about that experience with Mariana, I was, it was brutal, and I needed to go there, but it, I woke up to something there, that, um, that something had been in charge that I didn't want to be in charge, and I woke up to thinking, I can actually do something else here. I can do something different. So I don't say that I'm a wake up. <laughs> I don't go around waking people up. Well, hopefully I do. But I do something around development and growth. Um, 
and part of that is about this notion of encounter. So I contract on the notion that I'll show up as I am and you show up as you are. And as as the fire within us both kind of draws together, we will do something incredible. Um, and we can set some objectives, what that might be at the outset, but we can also maybe know that we may not go anywhere near that stuff. Um, and so some people are immediately out. They don't want to get involved in that. And that's great. And I have the responsibility to, to, to sort of put that at the top of what I'm talking about here. So I say, look, this is where work with me likely is likely to go. And my track record is that that's very positive for people at the end. It may be a difficult process for you. Um, and it's not therapy. Then they go, well, what is it then? And I go, well, you tell me after it's done. You tell me what that was for you. And normally I hear words like life-changing, powerful, incredible, you know. So I kind of go, well, that's what it was. You define it how you want to, to, to define it. Yeah. So for the purpose of the conversation, I want to rewind a little bit, you know, yeah. although before the end, it would be great to get more detail about the, the work that you're doing now, because I know that some of that is, you know, it's, it's evolving, right? You said you're a bit like that moment with the Gorilla. You're a bit like back in that space now, like seeing what happens as this idea and this business evolves. But take us back. So it sounds like you had a really positive experience with Barefoot. And I don't know if there's anything you want to pull out about that. I, you know, I think actually, I can't remember where you were in the journey when we first met, except that you were still working in TV. I think I was probably still working part-time as well. We had a, a lovely conversation in Embankment uh, uh, Gardens because we have, by chance, a uh, friend in common from a long time ago for both of <laughs> yeah. us, but longer, probably longer ago for me. Um, a shout out to Heather, who I went to school with. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific more you want to catch about what made Barefoot, the, you know, what lit the fire about the way they taught coaching and trained you. Or if it's more interesting just in this moment to go to what happened, you know, I guess back, maybe it's with Gorilla, what happened as you emerged from that training and as you, after the fire had been lit in that powerful experience, what were the steps you took to begin to change your life from the working full-time in, in Telestill, working on... Uh, millionaire and all that kind of stuff <laughs> towards what happened next well look there's a <laughs> there's probably a very important piece here that maybe answers goes to answer the question and I do need to be a bit sensitive about this so I need to just have a little think um because I need to be sensitive to me but also to some of the people that are involved and again not not because they might be listening, but just because of the consciousness in the universe, right, of what I'm putting out here. And that was that one day in my working life, around the, we're talking about this specific point in my life, in my journey right now, um, a moment happened at work uh, with a senior member of person, senior member of talent, um, it, amongst other people, and actually nothing particularly spectacular about it but just bullying really horrible behavior shouldn't be you know I, I recognize that people experience this crap every day right and I think I probably had my entire career but in that moment 
I just decided, no. <laughs> Actually, no. I'm, not, I'm no longer accepting this. It's sort of like the dark energy that had come down the corridor had been sat down and then allowed a, a different energy to approach. I was encountering myself and my power. And this scenario was happening and it was pretty awful. And I just said, okay. And the ironic thing was that evening, right? I had to leave at five because I was going to talk at Media Trust's mentoring event and I was taking on a whole bunch of mentors, right? The irony. Anyway, I have to go, guys. So I'm trying to get out of this room going, I've said that I'm leaving at five to do this thing and this big argument is still happening. And it's all about how rubbish I am, right? And how I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. And I'm going, okay, I've got to go. I've got to go. Anyway, long story short, I left that night. It was the 10th of January. And I decided I'm never going back. I'm not going to resign. I'm not going back into that building. It was a very spatial thing for me. Um, and space has become quite a lot of my work now, actually. Environment, I should say. Um, I just decided that's not a safe place for me to be at right now. Simple as that. I didn't overthink it anymore. I didn't come to any conclusions. What does this mean? Everybody else was doing that. You can't do this. You can't just not. I said, I actually can. I have power over my body and my mind, and I'm acting upon that. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because not everyone does. We all know stories of people who stay in, you know, I've done it. Maybe you've done it. You stay in a certain situation, a relationship, a, a, a workplace, whatever. Beyond the time when really, when you look back, the signs were all there that it was the wrong thing for us to be doing what do you think in that moment for you because it is a bold thing to do right i can imagine all the kind friends trying to help you not do something <laughs> kind of crazy right but, yeah. it, it, but the way you're talking about it it makes complete sense that yeah of course don't go back right i've got the power i can choose these things i was very happy doing my job uh, i was very good at my job on all the measurables i just felt the environment was not um okay for me so I contracted on that. I said, look, guys, yes, there's a problem here. I'm happy to work at Royal Festival Hall, which is just over the river from where I was working. I'm happy to work from home. You can contact me the whole time. I'm not coming in. That's your problem now. You go fix that if you want. And it became a problem <laughs> that they couldn't get their head around systemically, really, because what does this mean for us as a system if this is the kind of thing that can happen, right? We've lost control. Um, and I just sat with that and I never went back in and tried to get me going, you know, for meetings and this, that, and the other, I just never did. Um, and that ended up in a, in a more formal <laughs> exiting conversation, obviously. And I had no, and I think they think that I had that intention at the outset and I honestly didn't, I had no idea. I just knew that what was right for me in the moment was not to be there and that by holding on to that good would happen. How did you know that? How did the knowing show up? Because when I realized not being there, I felt great. I just felt like I'd never felt before. I didn't have this dread in my body. I just didn't have this fear. Um, I had other sorts of fear, I guess, of what if I lose my job? What do I do? You know, but I just thought, no, hold on to this. It's wisdom, I guess, isn't it? Maybe it's, again, this fire coming back. There's a wisdom of just stay with this. This is just a construct. This work stuff that I'm involved in is construct. This is not actually real in a way. Yeah, I need money. 
So actually, my focus needs to be, how do I make money? <laughs> yeah, and there's all these rules which are, which are constructed, which like, like that I have to go into this building in order to do this work. And, you know, there's a way that you were looking at that and going, that's, that's not true, actually, for this job right now. I can do this from home. I can do it from the Royal Festival Hall. And that doesn't mean that everyone else believes that those rules are as constructed and arbitrary as they can look, mm. which is perhaps that, you know, running into that <laughs> systemic thing for the organization to try and cope with. Mm. But I think it is interesting. The moment we live in is one of deconstructing lots of rules uh, in the world. That feels like one of the things that's happening right now. And it's funny because sat at the Royal Festival Hall on one of those working away from the office days was when said old business partner came in and and said the word gorilla to me. Uh So it's like, if I hadn't have been, you know, there we go, you know, everything's a bit um, sliding doors suddenly, but uh, it, it, I I allowed that opportunity to open up by just being there Um, and everything else in my life I feel as kind of in in this chapter at least has come from that point of making a decision of autonomy. I have a right and I'm going to act on that and there's no harm in anyone in this, you know, so I'm not advocating just blind, um, what what would the word, good word be? Robbie, help me out. Um, Narcissism, I guess. Um, I did it safely, if you like. I made sure that my reports that managed, you know, that I, they were all communicated to and everyone knew what was going on, that I was accessible. They could all come to me. It was very easy. But I just knew it was the right thing to do for me. Mm, powerful time. I wrote a lot around that period. <laughs> I journal heavily, as I know most of us do. But, yeah, there's reams, reams of making sense. And I guess maybe that goes to answer your question, that I spent the time making sense of what was going on right now. Um, I didn't get caught up in the whirlwind anymore. Yeah, I was sort of, I'd sort of landed somewhere and was like, right, where is this place? Okay. And so then those exit conversations happened or uh, in the end and you left (laughs) that job. And at the same time, presumably while that was going on, the beginnings of Gorilla were happening. What else were you doing around your work? Like how, what are the steps that happened between I'm doing this coach training and where you are now, where you're talking articulately and powerfully about the kind of work you do and, and how it's defined. And again, it feels like that's one of the themes of this conversation. It's defining your own thing, right? And owning and, and choosing and having that autonomy. So there's a load of stuff that must have happened in the kind of intervening two, two years or so. And I guess I'm just curious, maybe that's, hmm. there's a few kind of ways to come at that, but I guess... What, yeah, sounds like gorilla has been an important part of that, but maybe speak to that a little bit more, or maybe what are the other things that, that have been really important as you've developed your mode of working and your understanding of the world and how you interact with it? Uh, I think I'd probably summarize it and then explore them in, in two words. Experiment. Experiment and learning. So experiment is I'm never afraid to try different things, different approaches. Um, I, I um, to, to talk on practical terms, I think for a minute, it might be useful for, for people. I met everybody. 
I made it my mission to meet everyone I could and, and not to have good relationships with people, but just to be in good relationship. Um, so, and I, and I want to just underline that it, it wasn't a kind of networking methodology. I, I connected with people that I liked and that was that. So if I didn't get a vibe for somebody or it didn't seem to fit in with my, my ideas of the world, I wouldn't bother. Um, so this wasn't for some sort of commercial pipeline project, right? I just met, but I met with as many people as I could. And I listened and I asked questions and how could you do this? How could you do that? What would this look like? And, and some of those conversations that happened early on then turned out to be commercial associate coaching relationships. Okay, so there's money coming in now. That's a slightly different set of circumstances. Um, But I would experiment with them. I wouldn't necessarily take the offer that they provided. I would say, yeah, we could do that. But what if we did a bit of this? And what if we did a bit of that? And realizing that people in this industry like that, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Let's have a think about that. And maybe it's a no, we can't do it. But thank you so much for having the thought about it. Um, so I guess that then lead, led to engagement. So after relationship would be engagement um, and staying engaged with people and their ideas um, has definitely been prosperous for me, um, being connected with quite a wide network of thinkers and workers and business owners in the coaching space. So, yeah, let's just catch this just to make that real. The people when you said you just met everybody, these were people who were working in the coaching space or a mixture yes. or no, specifically that, that was the, at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get a sense of the lay of the land, if you like, or what does this thing called coaching really look like? Um, and I did that in a number of ways. You know, we did have some little events going on with Gorilla. So we, you know, we had that community building, um, the kind of alumni of that particular course on Barefoot. We, we're all still very close. Um, and we ended up selling very quickly, actually, corporate days um, for the Gorilla. So straight after the, live, the speed coaching event, we managed to get quite a lucrative contract and a big... And how did that uh, happen? Yeah. <laughs> I've given too much away now, Robbie, because... <laughs> no, i tell you why it happened, because... <laughs> well, I asked... Like, you only say what you're comfortable with, but I asked because... Oh, no, I'll tell you everything. Because coaches I, are kind of like, quite often, it's like, okay, well, I think there's reasonable roadmaps out there now for how to build a, a private coaching practice. But how to develop a corporate coaching practice, at least to me, I mean, you know, I we could have a long conversation about this, but it feels like that's one of the things that coaches are often interested in. Which, sure. Which just isn't talked about that much. And I don't know if my answer is going to be useful, right? But I'll just, I'll be honest. I had an idea of roughly where I wanted to go. And I just, you know, I wanted coaching en masse. I wanted it to look and feel different. And I wanted it to be affordable so that people who weren't earning megabucks could come along and partake, right? It's kind of all I knew. And we had a call. Uh, We'd done a lot of LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn is probably a whole other podcast series, isn't it? But we've done a lot of LinkedIn and we've managed to get some contacts. And also through my, you know, my, my relationships with media and stuff. And we ended up talking to the head of people at ITV. He took the call. We were a bit overwhelmed. Had nothing to pitch. Just that we're coaches and we want to do things differently and we're crazy and we're energy and <laughs> just words, right? <laughs> but he took the call. And somewhere, from somewhere, the idea that, that became what was emerged from within me. I just spoke it. 
I'd never written it down. And, and we just carved out what the structure of this coaching delivery sort of program would, would look like. <laughs> As if, you know, some energy had taken over my body and was just speaking. And it made sense. So he loved it. He was like, great, this is amazing. Nothing like this on the market. This is incredible. Uh, you, obviously, you've got one sheet, he said. I, we went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Um, send me over the one sheet and we'll carry on. I was like, fuck, okay. Wait, what's a one sheet? Just like a one page thing summary? Yeah, send me a one pager that just kind of sums up what we've spoken about. Yeah, so like a little sales sheet, which actually isn't much of a big problem but we hadn't really captured what I just said ourselves we didn't even really know luckily said business partner and um what's her name it's, it's, a, it's a woman right give it let's give her a shout Teresa yeah Teresa Claysner yeah. yeah she had recorded the conversation thank god we had audio so I was like oh all right okay that's a nice idea um Slight caveat here. I'm not sure whether to go into the whole story, but and I won't, I think. But I had to get on a coach, <laughs> irony, uh, a National Express to go to my mum's um, that evening for, for what was quite an important conversation in our family. Um, and I had to sort of leave the house about an hour. So I was like, right, we've got an hour. I'm going to go to the coach. I'll get on some sort of ne- Wi-Fi network thing. We're going to have to bash this out between us. And we did. We ended up submitting what was... I think an 11 pager. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. Awful. I've still got it. I'll never lose it. Awful. Because actually interesting lesson here for me and maybe others is that he'd said, get it to me by five. And that's all I had in my head. I've got to get this to him by five. I've got to get this to him by five. Time's running out. Get it to him by five. So we ended up delivering crap. Because what I should have done is delivered something that was good. <laughs> and if that and, was... And forgot about five, right? Just Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah just gone. Yeah. Whenever. I could have just sent, sent him an email and said, look, something's come up, Martin. Can I get the email? Can I get the sheet to you on Monday? As if he's going to care, right? Shame. Because we delivered it by five. We wanted our medal. And then we looked at it the next day with fresh eyes and went, oh, wow, we've spelt experience wrong. <laughs> uh, and various other things. <laughs> and the fact that it was 11 pages. We never heard from him again. Um, but actually I did recently, but we never got any business from ITV. But that then gave us the, if you like, again, using the analogy of the clay, a bit of form to go, right, we've got validation here. Whatever we said on that call, he bought, and he didn't need to do any of that. Oh, we've got roughly what a one-pager could look like, so let's just get that done. And then so very quickly, we devised a one-pager, which just again, recap, just outlined really what our mission was, broadly what the benefits would be to the organization and a tiny bit about how we would do it and branding and all that kind of stuff chucked in we were we're pretty good at that stuff and that's that's probably we've got that as a, an up skill and that you know digital video uh image production all that kind of stuff we can do um and so we ended up getting another meeting in with actually one of Teresa's contacts very quickly after that with that kind of armory if you like and it was a much slicker pitch. Um, and she bought it there and then. And we were in there within two or three weeks um, with co- 10 coaches going in there, doing 50 coaching sessions in a day, um, creating a massive buzz in the entire organization. Really incredible stuff. Um, 
fantastic feedback from everybody. The coaches were exhausted, bless them. Some of them had never done anything like that. Uh, it was a massive challenge. But even from them, even from the coaches that were stretched, were like, this is incredible. This is what coaching should be. You know, it's it's alive. Um, yeah, and we carried on. So we had money coming in then, right? So then we were thinking, right, what next, what next, what next? And alongside this, is of the for you, have the associate or or are you doing other coaching work too or is it is it yeah tiny bits though tiny bits yeah not 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 a lot and is this so and and sorry this is quite a granular question um and feel free to not answer it but it's like i think one of the interesting things that a lot of people who want to build a coaching business run into is this kind of transition period which i sometimes think of as an investment period and there are loads of different ways you can invest in a business, but a coaching business, you've said it, right? What you do is, is a business. And that, uh, what was that noise? Was that noise at your end? Was that noise that at was end? me, yeah, dropping the bottle of my, the top of my water. I thought it was like, so you got a cool, really cool doorbell or something like that. Um, <laughs> I wish. I was really worried, actually, Barry, before we started this, I put a wash on. I'm recording this <laughs> on my platform. And I, I got slightly confused about the time that we were going to start because I looked at the cal- my calendar for the week when I was in the Netherlands at the weekend and my phone had right. adjusted everything. So I thought I definitely had time, but I have not got that. This is- Robbie, so also, anyway, I, I, I have a wash on, but I've got a timer on my washing machine, which means it comes on four hours after I put it on. So uh, You are a forward-thinking and skillful man, unlike me. <laughs> um, wait, what was I even asking about? Yes, so, this is, so with a business, right, there's an investment period. Yeah. And... I guess I'm curious about how did you manage, maybe it just worked out nicely and neatly because of the way that your other work was, was tailing off or, or phasing down, but how did you manage that transition from, I work, and I know some of it was like forced on you by your actions and what happened, you know, you chose that route, but how did, yeah, how did you manage that period and how did it fit together and what did it feel like and all that kind of thing? Yeah, it's good. And I think it's good to get down and dirty and kind of what we're talking about here really is money. And I think I have to be honest, if I hadn't have negotiated some money out of exiting my company, would I have been able to invest as much time as I did? Don't know. But I had a strong belief that this was the right thing to be doing. Money did run out quickly. And I wasn't afraid of it. I've never been afraid of running out of money, funnily enough. Um, I have no money. I'm not somebody that has loads of savings. I like to spend my money when I have it. Um, My partner thinks that's very irresponsible, but he's great at making loads of money and keeping it. So you go do that. (laughs) I'm just going to spend it. Um, So I've never had that fear of money. Um, I felt supported. I felt supported by people. I think that was incredibly important for me. I had people that would say things like, look, if you run out of money, let me know, I can help. Now, I don't generally respond positively to those sort of offerings because, again, bringing mum back into this, we're self-sufficient here, right? We don't ask for help. But I got over myself and I did ask for some help. And there were times when I needed to to take some financial support from people um, on the basis of a loan. But I got over my ego, I think, with that because I believed in the bigger person and I clearly saw that they did too. You know, they weren't just chucking money away at some one that was in need. It was like, this is really investment. You will get there. You just need to get through this little patch. I have to say though, um, having something like a kind of sand timer of cash ticking away, dripping down in front of you, 
is a good way to get shit done. Um, I knew I had X amount of months left to secure business, to get things in. And I, I didn't see it as fear. I saw it as drive. It was like, this has got to happen. My partner was continually getting me to, my, my personal partner was trying to pers- always get me to plan for what happens at that point. <laughs> so when the money runs out, what are you going to do? So where, and I'm like, I'm not interested in that. It's terrifying for him, <laughs> but I'm not interested in that because I just got to focus on what we've got to do. Um, I was struck actually by, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Boris Johnson's approach to Brexit, which was very much about, I'm not talking about what happens if we don't get the deal. I'm just going to talk about the deal. I- I'm not offering any political uh, <laughs> um, insight there into my voting habits, but I was just struck by that rhetoric and I related to it. I'm focusing my energy on getting this done. I'm not going to worry so much yet about, but I also knew that I had a support net to some degree. However, it may not have been defined or kind of um, realized yet. I've had a sense that I'll be all right here. Um, But I just slogged. I I just slogged. And and the slogging wasn't painful slogging. Like I said, it was meeting people. Coffees, it was going out there, getting out of the house, getting off LinkedIn, making the effort, going to see people, reading their books. You know, that was the work. Uh, I, I quite like that stuff, so it was all right. Um, and it did pay off. You know, eventually those kind of little meetings, those little chats trickle out to be, actually, do you want to come along and co deliver this? Or, you know, love your thoughts on that. Can you come along and we'll pay you X? And in the meantime, I was able to kind of cultivate and ferment if you like my bigger my bigger goals um which is also, yeah, you, the, you see all that stuff from when you see other people you learn it by doing that you see the yeah. bit of someone's work that resonates and the other bit that doesn't and you get to choose and you get to filter that and learn and all those things yeah and i think i said at the top of your question actually there was two elements and it was experimenting and and, and learning and that experimenting was not being afraid to get involved with things that I didn't know about. So for example, I know we're both on the better up program. It's Mm. uh, the American online coaching platform around the world. And yeah, I I have a bunch of thoughts about that, but I love that I'm in the space with the, with the ability to have an opinion on it Um, and not just sit back. Like I hear some people doing, Oh no, you know, well, how's that really coaching? You know, all that kind of stuff. I sort of feel like, well, yeah, maybe that's right, but go do it. <laughs> go learn, go live it and see what the possibilities are. So that was my experimenting piece, always doing that. Um, and then learning, I really fell in love with transactional analysis. Really fell in love with it. And I am in love with it. And um, as an ability to make sense of us and what happens between us, is how I would define it. And that then gave me a, it has given me a spine, if you like, um, to just uh, challenge my thinking all the time with everything, not just the business. But I think sometimes we train as a coach, we do our training and then we think that's it. Right, let's do this thing. I don't think in this particular breed of work that you can do that because <laughs> it's alive. It has changed from when I trained in 2017. It has changed because we have changed. We need to be receptive to what things are now and how people are working and experiencing life now. And for me, TA is that 
vehicle that does that. So whatever it is for, I think, the coaches that, that might be listening to this and wondering what can I do, it's find that thing that sparks you in terms of learning, I think, and just do more of that, invest more in that. Don't, I hear a lot of times people saying, well, I've invested X amount of grand in this already. I haven't, you know, fair enough. Like if you've got limited resources, but still try and do something in service to that reason you got into it. Um, don't just give it up and think that the job's done. It, it begins, if you like, the minute you've, you've sort of graduated or got your certificate from coaching. So you've got to keep learning. You've got to stay fresh with your ideas. You've got to keep reading. You've got to keep talking to people. Um, you're right. You said at the top, coaching can be really isolated. Don't let it be isolating. Don't let it be. Stop that. <laughs> you know, if people are feeling isolated, go and find other people to talk to. Just meet them for a coffee. Most people are up for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and who knows what comes of those conversations. I wouldn't be on the podcast now if we hadn't have met on that bench, right? It's a perfect right. example. Yeah. It's a perfect absolutely. example. Yeah. And so I guess, I mean, there's so, again, there's so much in that interesting parts of that. I like the, those two words, right, which were experiment and learning. They're great. And that, there is a feel of that about you. You know, uh, everything from your bio to, like we talked about social media, maybe get to that in a sec. And, but it's also just in person. And in this conversation, anyone listening will, will know that. Let's hit, maybe let's hit learning first. Because, um, like, you've got, a great, <laughs> you've got a great list on your bio of all the trainings and certifications you've done, including yeah. ICF, right, uh, accreditation, all that kind of thing. And there's some fascinating stuff in there. There's the TA stuff. There's some couples therapy stuff, which I yep. have done a little bit of as well. I'm absolutely oh. fascinated by. That was yeah. kind of my, after I, in fact, just to tell my bit of that, that bit of my story, after I had been on potentially the same co- coaching introductory weekends that you were on <laughs> and decided coaching wasn't for me, mm. I actually did a two-term couples counseling course because I was like, maybe this is this is it. And it wasn't for all kinds of reasons, but... Very interesting. So you've got all these, all this learning that you've done. And it feels like there's this fascinating thing for coaches about the purpose that learning serves for them. So I just want to really zoom in for you on what is the, what is the purpose that the learning that you have done? What purpose does that serve? I think, again, two, two layers to it. One is intrapersonal. So for me, I highlighted earlier, I think, that my formal education was pretty standard. Actually, I'm not even going to victimize it. It was pretty standard. Sit down, listen, learn, pass an exam. <clears throat> there was a a few flashes of curiosity, inspiration, wonder throughout my whole formal education down to one teacher really actually. And so then you go to university, which isn't quite the same level of learning. I was learning a whole bunch of other stuff and then work. And so I actually feel like when I'm, I'm going up to the Bird Institute tomorrow for another weekend of, of study. Um, and I'm desperately excited about it. I cannot wait. Like, I even go up on a Friday and stay till the Monday now just because I want to be there. Um, 
And it's like I've got the opportunity to be the child learning again in a way that would just, I would dream for me to have had as a boy, if you like, that I sit there in free child mode. And again, these are TA terms, obviously, um, but in that wondrous, curious, creative, big headspace, oh my God, this is amazing. And, and I'm not, I don't think we are often allowed to be in that space we're in the space of knowing even as a coach with all the best coaching priming that you may have done to yourself there's still a sense of knowing where you're at um and you can be in wonder at the other person you can be curious at at the other person but i challenge that we're not there enough we're not there enough we're not in the not knowing enough um so that gives me that beautiful energy that i love um just brings out playfulness in me it makes me feel good and then there's the outcomes, if you like, which is sort of out, out of body, um, which I guess the outcomes are that I see my potential regularly. It's very good for your confidence because you realize that you can think <laughs> and you realize that you have ideas. And if you've been in an organization for a long time, a particularly mediocre one, you lose that a bit. You lose the treats that you can think and that you have ideas and that you have a voice. And that. And so it's lovely to be able to realise that as an outcome. Uh, and of course, that outcome then, you know, gets me work. You know, I get to talk about TA. I, tr- I now train the TAP on the Barefoot course. You know, so within three years of doing that course, I'm now delivering the TA element of that. that. That's phenomenal for me that I'm that person, but my passion and my, my love for it is probably what got me that gig, you know? So the outcome is also commercial. Um, I'm sure there are a million, uh, <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. You know, do what you love, <laughs> do what you love. It, and it sounds like you're saying, you're saying do it because you love it to a certain extent as well. And I think there's a, cause I think, I guess underneath my question about those, those trainings, one thing is there's a kind of, how do I get this? It's like, there's a feeling that a lot of people have that uh, when I have X, I will be a Y. Right. And, and, you know, that's not serving lots of those people. Yeah, there's, a, there's probably a theme to my conversation here, which is I don't actually ever have the plan or the outcome in mind. I never know where I'm going. This is why I have a problem with coaching, because I don't know where B is. If I'm going from A to B, I'm not interested in B. I'm interested in A and then the bit in between A and the next thing. And I think a lot of people are. You get focused on goals too much. You're going to end up there. That's great. But what about all the other places you could have gone? Yeah, and, and you know, I was talking about this on one of the other podcasts, but there's, the neuroscience now is showing that goal setting, amongst other things, is is bad, basically, for coaching. Uh, you know, dreaming, visioning is a different thing, but when you get into goal setting, that actually has a neuroscientific effect, which is hampers growth sometimes. Yeah, it, it's great for getting things done, and it's great for the output. And it's good for me on a granular level if I've decided within that vision these are the things that I have to, you know, that I want to achieve really broadly. And they're not goals, they're visions. But within that, there are objectives that need to be met. I have to file my taxes, for example, right? So that has to become a goal at some point. 
but yeah, if we if we shroud or, or camouflage coaching as goal setting, we lose so much. We lose so much. And I think that's kind of what I'm saying is that the learning. I remember when I started doing the TA course, so many coaches were like, oh, it's a bit old fashioned and mm, it gets a lot of bad press. And should you be doing that? It's one of the things that I hear. Is that the best thing for you to be doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Who decides that? <laughs> I'm just going to do it because I love it and I've engaged with it. Yeah, and how could you possibly know at the start whether it's the right thing to do? Yeah, um, I don't know. How do you know? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's interesting, Barry. I think like one of the things I want to ask you about now is I feel like we've touched on it in a, in a bunch of different ways. There's this kind of sense that, um, I don't know, you kind of talked about it from those uh, those early taster days that you went on and the word coaching and the way you're questioning that. And also the when you talked about gorilla and doing the th- it's like democratizing coaching or bringing something different. I guess there's this sense from what you're saying um, that the way that coaching has been talked about and has been practiced potentially, you know, and I've just drawn another example of that through the neuroscience idea with the guy who's called Richard Boyatzis that I heard talking about that originally. Um, the, the way that coaching talked about practice trained is actually not fit for purpose. So I guess, where do you see it going for you? And, you know, just in this moment with the perspectives you've got, and um, why is that important? Yeah, I think it comes back to, if I start by thinking about that word therapy as a noun and coaching as a adjective, you can see you can see me pulling listeners can't see me pulling my face as a a expression of confusion about remembering which one a process word yeah and and i and i wonder what is the noun in coaching and for me it comes down to two things communication relationship so what we're working on is communication and relationship that that's what's important and you you flagged there that i am doing the gottman uh, couples therapy training because i'm curious about relationships at work we've been focusing on performance and um output and effectiveness i think is another word that i hear a lot effective are we and really what we need to be looking at is relationships how relational are we what's our relational index um and why is that what we need to be looking at because the individuals themselves, the part, I, I base this around a very, very weak knowledge of particle physics, knowledge, not even knowledge, awareness through Wikipedia, that the particles themselves aren't the elements that create the form. Okay, So we're all made out of particles, but we all show up differently. And it's actually the relationship between those particles that creates the form. We're all made out of the same element. <laughs> So if organizations just keep focusing on the particles and we've got to have the best particles and forget about the relationship between them, you'll have potentially a destructive form or, or not the form that you're looking for. So to find the form that you want, to find the objective that you want to get as an organization and think about how that translates to what the relationships need to be. Now, this shows up now, I think, in terms of the word culture. How do we create the culture? And Again, I'm sure the coaching community is very aware of well-being weeks, lunchtime yoga, pool tables, all that stuff, because we think as senior people that that's going to fix the culture. It doesn't. It doesn't. Harnessing 
flourishing the relationships between individuals will encourage each party in the relationship to show up at their best eventually with help. And when you've got both all parties showing up at their best, this notion of encounter again, you know, feeling that like, they can just leave the office if they want to <laughs> and choosing not to, you're going to get a better organization. <laughs> Things are going to work better because we're focusing on the relationship, not the goals of the individual. Um, so how does that transform into coaching? Well, no idea, but I know that obviously group coaching has now really got legs. Um, it's something which is being seen as a really powerful tool in organizations, group facilitation. And I think we're nudging around it there about how do we show up together? You know, how do we operate together? Um, but I think we can go firmer on it. Um, one of the reasons Gorilla doesn't exist anymore is that sadly me and the founder, Teresa, we fell apart. We, our relationship crumbled, right? We were so focused on the product and doing the best job we could. We forgot about us. Tragically, you know, I, I regret it. Um, we're one of many, <laughs> unfortunately, it's a huge stat, isn't it, for founding partners that, that fall out. Um, and I just wish that if we'd paid more attention to our relationship rather than what we were doing in the business, we would have had a more profitable, more successful and whatever term business. Um, so my, my vision and where coaching needs to be is it's actually taking in, if you like, that, that couples therapy stuff, which I would call relationship and communication work, actively into the workplace, actively into organisations. I'm talking much more about organisations than I am, let's say, more domestic work. Um, that's just where my, that's where my focus is. Um, I do do private clients and I do have a private practice. But for me, the visioning is about how do we change culture? How do we get people to not have, I guess, my experience at work, right? And the experience of many others that I, that I see every day. Um, and it is about communication relationships. How do, you, how do you enhance that? How do you protect it? Yeah. And it feels like you're already doing it, but it's a nice moment to segue into what work looks like for you now. You know, uh, you said 2017 training, so three years in. Um, you've mentioned the wake-up method already. Gorilla has drifted away, dissipated, those kind of things. There's some private work. There's the associate things. I guess take jump off from that wherever you like. It could be into what literally what you're your business looks like now, or it could be perhaps to wake up and where you are with that and how that's evolving. Yeah. Okay. So I think if you look at one of the things that I decided to do was have a relationship with an organization that was regular because yeah, the bills need paying. So I, I, very fortunate to to be one of the coaches at NABS, which is the uh, National Advertising Benevolent Society. So a charity supporting people in the ad industry. And I coach for them and run masterclasses for them twice a week. And, and that provides me the resources, if you like, to do the other bits and pieces and better up as well. There's you know, a few bits and pieces around there. And, f- and interestingly, better up is very flexible. Um, NABS isn't. And that's quite nice for me. So I've got a bit of a routine happening here. I can't just be moving to Barbados tomorrow. Um, 
with the wake and, and I have other relationships with associates. Yeah. And, and, and that's a kind of out of my control piece. If they ring me and they've got work and I can do it, I'll do it. And that's and, great. And that's giving you, and let, let's catch this because this is important. That's giving, that's meaning you are not in the position that when you are speaking to somebody about working with you, whether it's an organization or an individual, you have, you, you know, you're in that really, I must make this work. Instead, you've got this, this floor for your business. And I, you know, I, I had a great moment of that about two years ago where I was like, ah, oh, yeah, if I just accept this piece of work, I'll have that floor. I don't have to be super stressed about my mortgage and all that kind of thing. And I yeah. can create from there. And that has made a big difference to me. Look, and I know that those positions are fairly rare. Um, but you only, you only need one of them, like the way I look at yeah. it. Is, and, and I think that they are less rare than they were. If we were having this conversation six years ago, I think they were. Uh, but I just want to validate it again by saying that the, actually the way I got that gig, another person we both know, Kate Reese, amazing oh, yeah. Kate Reese, you know, that only happened by me meeting everyone. All right, so I met Kate, loved Kate. Kate, do you want to come and wear a T-shirt and do guerrilla coaching? Yeah, I do, you know. So, and, and Kate was like, do you want to come to NAB? So this relational communication piece that I'm banging on about is how you get there as a coach. Don't forget core principles. So, Well, and I'd catch, I think that those two things, right, they are how you get there as a coach. The two things that you said, uh, meeting everyone, relationships was the word, wasn't it? And learning, right? And learning is the other because learning if we're doing deep learning is what means that when you show up with Kay and you know, you have the coffee with her, she's like, wow, I could definitely invite, you know, introduce Barry to this organization because I can feel that there's something going on there and it's alive. Yeah. Yeah. The aliveness again, this is the fire running through this. Um, interesting point on the wake up method, which has yet to sell if you like, because I've not started selling it yet, um, I've sat with it for a year. What, as you would have heard, I did with Gorilla was made it up as I went along and very quick, very, very quick. And I realized that that, in some degree, I just replicated the life that I was living in TV land. It was brutal, it was quick, it was do now and ask questions later. Uh, we were lucky, but I tell you what, you know, as, as lovely as that speed coaching night was, it was also terrifying. Yeah, we had real people who had paid money. We had a bar. <laughs> Robbie, we had a bar. The worst thing, one piece of advice, if ever you're going to run a coaching event, don't have a bar. Um, everything was fine, but I reflect on it now in a place of experience and think, what the hell? were we thinking you know so what i've done with the wake up method is just pace it right don't rush out just because you think you've got a sparkly new thing and throw it everywhere this is really important to me i've spent time embodying the principles that run underneath it researching it experimenting with it trying it out i want to make sure that this goes to market in a ad in an adult way not in a slightly um chaotic childish uh, angry way um i'll show you kind of thing um so i am milling around with the waking method i've done one thing which i never thought i would be able to do but it's been the best thing and again i think it might be good advice is i realized that i was my biggest hurdle i was getting in the way of everything 
I am busy. I'm doing a lot of stuff every day uh, for various reasons, money, but also uh, curiosity. So I brought on some help. I asked a mate of mine who does some work for the Tate and said, look, do you have any hours free over a week? I need some project management help, if you like. Just get me an order. And um, yeah, it hasn't cost a lot, but the benefits of that have been incredible because I am now able to take out fairly administrative stuff um, and, and delegate, really. And so it frees up huge amounts of headspace. And I, like I say, it might sound like a real luxury to have. And I know there's an EA kind of model that exists, but I really want to work with people that I kind of know and respect and like and have a relationship with. Um, and so that's really helped. That's driven me in the last sort of three months. I've got more done now, more done through that process now by having that extra person on. So I wouldn't be afraid now to ask for help um, and actually do, do the budget. You know, people will go, oh, I can't afford to have it. I'm not bringing enough money. Paula, who's the lady that worked for me, she does two hours a week. And she gets a lot done in that two hours doesn't cost that much <laughs> yeah it's probably what i spend on coffees a month you know it's it's fine so but that can elevate you very quickly in terms of what you need to be doing and so if it's if it's admin that's getting in the way if it's marketing social media writing whatever those things are that you feel are gaps find out who can do that fiverr is a great website and there are many others you know for freelancers that you just chuck a job out and and they'll do it to ish quality and you can review that um but you can get stuff done you don't need to be the block in the way of your own version of success yeah yeah frees you up to do all kinds of other interesting things which you can't easily outsource to somebody yeah i don't have the guilt of reading a book anymore um i used to really think i shouldn't read that book because i should do x y and z i can sit and read a book because somebody else is doing that (laughs) Or not. Actually, they may not be doing it, but it's freed something up psychologically for me. And there's a plan. You know, I'm not, I'm not being irresponsible. Yeah, I'm being responsible. First time ever. <laughs> um, we said right at the start, we said we might come back to this. So let's come back to it now because you brought it in there. Talk about social media and LinkedIn and people's impressions of you and your thoughts on, on how it serves and how it doesn't. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, I'm having to think about that. And I'll be honest. I think it's dangerous. It's what I think. I think it's dangerous. And I think we have a, a responsibility for ourselves and our community industry to handle it carefully because I've seen, not personally, I have to say, but I've seen firsthand other people's damage. It shows up for me in a number of ways. And we go, yeah, we did touch it. Oh my God, you're doing loads. This, 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 and this. And I'll say I'm not really. And then I hear underneath that, that there's a, there's a disappointment within themselves that they're not doing more. And that's not my intention. And that's never my intention. So what does that mean for me is that I'm mindful of what I put out there. Um, and this, I'm, I'm putting, I'm talking about LinkedIn now, I think. Um, I put a post up the other day. Um, I can't remember what it was about. Oh yeah, I was 
this isn't uh, I was in psychology's magazine doing a little thing right it was nice I was happy but I really felt it was important to highlight the fact that I was bragging so I just put brag alert at the top so that if anybody comes in it's the first thing you say so if you come across that in the feed and you just don't want to hear another brag don't look at it and I'm happy with that but I know that commercially if I'm publicizing the fact that I've been in quite a well-known magazine, that's going to do something in the background, right? But I don't want that to be targeted to coaches. Um, I'm trying to get business and I really want coaches to kind of just be mindful and maybe have some management around what they get sucked into. So for example, if I put a status update on LinkedIn, a good news status update, the majority, if not all of the comments and likes will be other coaches. And I think to myself, that's nice. And it's not the intention. So what do I do? (laughs) Um, It's become competitive in there. And I I don't know how useful it is. And of course, there are huge plus sides to it. It's a great way to, to, to connect and observe and to witness great things happening. Um, but given how isolated the business is, I guess I'm coming at this from a mental health point of view of manage that, manage that, don't get caught into it. I generally don't scroll other people's feeds or scroll down. It's really selfish, I'm guessing, but I'm generally putting stuff out there because I'm looking for work or I'm trying to promote me or my brand. And I feel like LinkedIn is more, certainly it was intended to be a bit more of that professional network stuff. And it's bordering into the feelings and emotional space that I think Facebook used to embody. And I'm worried about that because I'm like, you're going to get hurt because people are just going to be talking about how good they are. And maybe the old person will put some vulnerable post up, but they're still probably selling a product at the end of that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that. I don't really use Instagram and Facebook as much. I do Instagram more because I'm quite like visuals. Um, I don't think you really get any business from Instagram. I'm not doing it for business, but more of a placeholder. Um, So I look legit um, and I can kind of sense of, I guess that fire in me is what you would find on Instagram. You get a sense of who I am. But yeah, for me, LinkedIn is, is, look, I am going to be talking about what I'm doing, but I don't want you to get upset about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. And we're, you know, we're talking in early 2020 and, you know, you can feel some of these these platforms shifting uh, all the time. It's interesting. Facebook in particular of the last year or so has just, the, the platform has changed a bit, but also people's attitudes to it have changed quite a lot. Um, it'll be interesting. I am in the middle of a kind of, for, for my mental health, just before Christmas, I stopped basically checking. I gave myself full permission to stop checking Facebook and Twitter. And I also, to help myself do that, I logged, I actively logged out on all platforms so that to get on there, my, you know, my unconscious couldn't just take me onto Twitter and, and take me 20 minutes of scrolling before I'd realized I had to actively log in. You know, I don't miss it at all. It's been a wonderful thing to do. LinkedIn feels different to me. I think there's, for all kinds of reasons which we could get into, but it, there's, it's, it, for me, it's a nicer place actually than, than, than certainly Twitter and mostly Facebook. And that's one of the reasons I don't mind going on there. But, but I also love that you don't scroll the feeds. I have this guilty thing that I write a lot of articles and blog posts in life. Generally, I don't read anyone's blog and I always feel a bit bad about that. Right? But my reading is taken up. I do a lot of reading. I just don't happen to read people's blogs. 
And I always wonder if that's a weird, selfish thing. And I decide that it is not. It's fine. It's just, it's just doing what you said, which is managing how we deal yeah. with input, yeah. online stuff, and all those things. I will read someone's blog if they've asked me to. That's it. Similar yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, and if they, if somebody, and I'm quite happy to send things to people and say, look, do you mind having a read of this and give me your feedback? Again, that's different. I'm not selling anything now. I just want to, you know look at the craft but yeah it's parasitic i think sometimes people are sort of scrolling through it and gaining whatever they they're gaining an impression of the world which isn't true and look that is what social media is i don't use twitter at all i don't use facebook at all i think we've got some things up there but i don't yeah i i think i clocked early on that my personality type is dangerous in that in that realm and just just you know it's why i don't take drugs you know (laughs) that's why i don't drink it's just okay don't don't go over there it's all right. Um, yeah, having that self-awareness. But um, but also, it's a brilliant tool. LinkedIn's fantastic. And like you say, over the last few years, it's evolved into this you know, incredible way of running a business, actually. You know, I, I get sales leads from it. Um, I don't, again, agree with it, but it works. So, yeah. And there's a question of when is it useful and when is it not? Um, mm. There's a Michael Neal quote, which I really like, which he... I think it's an addiction related quote originally, but he, when I heard him say it, when someone asked him about social media, he says, when is it, a, when is it an expression of your aliveness and when is it a tool to deaden? And that's yeah, a great nice. way to think, okay, there what's go. going on here for me about social media? There you go. I have a real problem at the minute. If I'm, if we're saying this and I'm going to say it is that there are a lot of coaches who just feel like they need to just do a video of themselves in a car, holding the phone up like that, talking about themselves for me, that's narcissism, and I don't know how helpful it is. Um, I find it, I, I need to not look at that because it, it brings up something within me. I, it feels completely counterintuitive to what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and, so, and so what, just in this moment, what is, if that's the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing, what are we supposed to be doing? Inviting curiosity. What I want to be doing is asking questions. <laughs> What I want to be doing, and it, and it actually links back to the point that you asked before about what was it about Barefoot, and that what they did at Barefoot was that they they offered up models, tools, theory, thoughts, and said, "We don't own these. What do you think of it? You like this? You like that? You don't agree with this? You don't agree with that? Great, let's talk about it." That was what sold me because you're not telling me your manifesto. You're not telling me anything. You're inviting me to be a curious my sense child adult and so for me what we should be doing is opening up questions you know that's what we do as coaches but we should be doing that across the board not not telling should be inviting thinking (laughs) you know how what do we think about this what do we think about that i I don't need to be telling you my point of view i'm doing it very explicitly right now (laughs) the irony is not lost on me guys I, i would catch that i'm not sure that's what you're doing i think you're doing you know what you said which is you're offering a load of stuff you're not saying or it doesn't feel to me like you're saying you have to believe this and if you don't you're an idiot or something like that it's like here's where i am in this moment and what i believe we want to be facilitating people to think and to act in their best interest that's what i want to do as a coach i want to get somebody to realize where their goal is themselves and then do what they need to do to get there um and you do that by being curious interested and loving um, and it's a word that's again never used, and I'm going to start using it soon. But yeah, love. Let's talk about love at work. 
what? <laughs> HR, uh, but we need to start loving each other a bit more and ourselves. Yeah, I had a beautiful conversation with a coach just starting out and it was great. It freed her up a little bit, but she said, yeah, I just, does anyone else do this? I just kind of show up with the people I'm coaching and love them. Yeah, no, nice. that's it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I love that. I need to nick that. Thank you very much. Do it. Absolutely. Uh, full permission from me. I can't get permission from her, but you know, who cares? I've already Sue told me. the story now. We're on the, we're on the podcast. Uh, Ari, I guess, you know, we're coming towards the end of our time. The, um, that thing you said about barefoot is so nice and it, it definitely feels like what I try and bring to my coaching, that sense of, look, here's some models, some tools, some thoughts, some ideas. I want to, offer them to you and then that'll help you think and it'll make you question or it might help you see things differently but you know take them and do with them what what you will what is the that we have talked about or haven't what else is there that you'd like to offer to people who might be listening or or to me that you know yeah that we haven't touched on yet in this conversation hmm Well, I'm struck by, um, again, we, 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 we darted by it, but I'm struck by our connection to place. Um, and I'm, I'm conscious of thinking about a place, space, place, environment, earth, fire, right? Um, that I think with everything that's going on in our planet, and look, it's not about saving the planet. The planet is going to be fine. It's existed a lot longer than we have, and it would exist for a lot longer. It's about self-saving ourselves as a human race. Um, but I think the way we need to do that is to reattach to where we came from. Um, thinking back to the TA work that I do, and even the reflections I've shared with you today, it's, you have to reattach to where you came from. For me, it's my mother. Um, but for all of us, it's the earth. And I think the only way we're going to really heal ourselves and save ourselves in this crisis that's approaching us is just reattaching to the earth and about where we came from. We talked about the kind of beautiful um, language around fire. And I think there's something around roots and the earth and seeds and, and cultivation um, and so however that manifests for people, I really want to get out of offices, out of rooms, out of buildings and be out and connect with the earth. And I'm not a full-blown hippie, believe it or not. Um, I just have a strong sense that that's where the solution is um, because we still think as a race of people that we're saving the earth by not drinking out of a plastic bottle. That's a massive ego there. You're never going to save the earth. We are not going to save the earth. But the earth might save us if we allow it to, if we allow our egos just to drop a little bit and then we can just reconnect because, yeah, narcissism, ego, who are we? <laughs> Why do you think that you have this authority? <laughs> That's where I'm at. Um, and I guess that feeds into why do I think coaching needs to be rebranded? You know, what, why am I bothered about what's in between us? It's because actually we've got too carried away with who we are. Um, and we need to be thinking about our connections, our relationships um, to each other, but also where we came from. Um, 
and for uh, yeah for all of us ultimately that is the earth whether you like it or not <laughs> yeah and and is that is that the i'm just suddenly caught that we haven't you haven't said exactly or i don't think we've dived into in detail the wake up method and the work you're going to be doing there and is that what that's about like this thing you've just spoken about uh, yes and no because i am not going to be telling people to do their life in a certain way my job as a coach and a facilitator is to invite questions so what we'll be doing with the wake up method is just be bringing in elements coaching historically has been self actualization jiz maslow you know and yeah we're doing a few more bits and pieces around it but it's generally about how self the particle the person can be optimized and what i'm inviting in the wake up method is okay self yeah start there and then us who's the community who are you working with who are you living with who do you want to be working and living with who do you want to exist with and then environment what i'm calling environment okay and purposely a vague word that people can take whatever they want from it um but what is your connection to environment or the environment however and just to pose the question and quite often i'm running an exercise with some coaches at the minute i may have sent it to you i'm not sure but just to ask people to define what they what those terms mean and it's incredible how people can't connect to environment they don't know what that means they assume you mean planet but i'm saying what's the connection to it i just don't know what you mean do you mean go for a walk like and um so what we're going to be doing the wake up method is it's coaching and it's on mass and it's all those values that i love and it's democratizing it but it's just bringing in some subtle flavors of okay and how can your community impact you and how can you impact your community and okay how can you impact the environment and how can the environment impact you however you've defined it and the environment might mean the building you're in the organization you're in it could be system right um but eventually i want to maybe get people distilling a thought that maybe environment is something more important than me um that's that's kind of what the wake up method is you can see why it's taken a year so how do you sell that <laughs> don't know yeah but that's i guess why it's exciting because there's concepts there that you're crystallizing and that people don't think about and you know what better way to make people think than ask them a question like how what was it how do you relate to to environment that makes them go what does that question even mean yeah and i and i quite like sitting in the silence of that <laughs> letting someone figure that out or draw it i mean i i yeah i invite people to draw how they exist within the environment um it's generally a circle around them um or a big circle next to them and i'm curious about that sense of detachment and inclusion um anyway could say more about that forever but yeah that's 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 where i'm at this book here actually that i'm reading at the minute was one of the inspirations satish kumar's soul soil soul and society um really incredible book and many others giles barrow incredible guy writing about it at the minute um and look the holy trinity not to go in there but there's always this notion of parent adult child the holy ghost father and this whatever they are I'm not religious and there's something about us the community and all um these three circles keep coming back you know it's like we need to be thinking always in terms of three dimensions i think yeah. not just yeah. about yeah. the one if you haven't already you should take a look at some of ken wilber's work because he 
those uh, I, I'm not an expert on his work, but uh, I, we, and it is is one of the ways he structures things. I mean, it's not it's, you know it's, he's a he's a philosopher who brings things together from lots of different places. But there's something in what you're saying that sounds quite like like some of the things that he said, and I think that'd be interesting inspirations and ways of thinking that might help too. Um, but it sounds really exciting. Look, Barry, before we wrap up, it's, that's kind of a nice place to end getting into that space of, of what's, what's like, uh, what's alive, right. To bring that back in, what's emerging, what's the unknown bit. And it's like right at that, uh, liminal space, which I now know what it is, Very good. um, which you're in with your work before we wrap up. Is, is there anything else you want to, you want to share anything that we've that we've missed or anything that you just want to touch back in on before we before we finish the conversation i don't think so i mean i never thought i'd be a coach and i still don't think i am um yeah that's probably all i would say but it, but it's interesting isn't it that you say that um people who are just listening you know with a smile and a sense of contentment on your face whereas i know for some people feeling that they aren't a coach is a very stressful thing. And so it's a beautiful, it looks and feels like a beautiful place to be. Yeah. Stop trying to be the expert. You'll never get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Barry, look, thanks so much. We, I'm sure we could have, we could have jumped off on another 15 different <laughs> uh, like branches in this conversation and ended up we in could. all kinds of other interesting places. But so, but thanks for playing this out and seeing what emerged today. Loved it. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah. Brilliant to talk to you. Yeah, and you. And see you again. See you later.